Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mekaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 368 with Taylor Jacobson. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you because Taylor has got something magical in terms of if you've ever wished you could buckle down and get her done, but you've been distracted, you get pushed into other things and you just can't seem to find that willpower, discipline, it's missing. Taylor's got a real cool tool and some psychology behind it to share with you. So here we're going to learn one, the biggest distraction drivers in the workplace, two, some streamlined to-do list hacks, and three, why not to rely on willpower. So if you'd like to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, you'll find it over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep368. Now here's Taylor's story. Taylor Jacobson is the founder and CEO of Focusmate, building productivity software that works when nothing else will. He's a trained executive coach with clients like Yale, Cornell, and Wharton, a wannabe adventurer, and a recovery pizza addict turned holistic health aspirant. His work has been featured in CNN, GQ, The Huffington Post, Men's Health, and more. Thanks to Taylor for spending some time with us, and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Now, here's Taylor. Taylor, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks for having me, Pete. Excited to be here. Oh, me too. And uh, I want to get your take, first of all, about your 3,000-mile bicycle ride. Yeah, uh, fun story. I was I just moved back from uh, from India, and I was getting ready to do an MBA. Um, although, truth be told, I was kind of waffling on whether I wanted to do it. I've always sort of wanted to do my own thing. I was debating. And I reconnected with a high school friend who just wrapped up his stint in the Marine Corps, has taken some time off. And I think we did a workout, we grabbed coffee. And he said, by the way, I'm going to do this thing we've, you know, we've been talking about since high school. I'm going to ride my bike from Boston to Seattle. Uh, you should do it with me. And uh, <laughs> this goes all the way back to middle school. And we can tell some fun stories about middle school because middle school stories are always fun if painful. But uh, going back forever, I sort of knew that um, doing cool, hard, hard stuff, especially with somebody else was like this silver bullet for me. And I'd always wanted to do this particular challenge of riding my bike cross country and just was like, oh my God, this amazing person, a Marine, a good friend of mine, is going to do this thing. This is my chance to do this really hard adventure. Um, and that kind of flipped the switch for me of saying, you know what? I really didn't want to do this MBA anyways. I'm going to say yes. And so <laughs> the next day we, uh, we went to REI, we bought a tent, bought a sleeping bag, uh, some like stuff sacks, whatever we needed. I think we had maybe a week before we were going to head out. So we did a couple, you know, we, loaded all the stuff on our bikes and like tried to figure out how to ride with all this stuff strapped on there. And I'd say we mostly figured it out. And, uh, and then we just took off and there's a lot I can say about the ride, but, um, you know, I, one of the things we'll get into in this conversation a lot is, is the power of your peers and the power of accountability and the power of just doing things together. And, um, you know, I've never, done that ride by myself, but uh, I don't know that I ever would or could. And, um, and doing it with this friend, Brendan, every day you hit multiple moments where you, you're not having fun at all. <laughs> no. 
And, um, but there's just something about it, your, your mind just kind of shifts when you are doing it together. And, um, it sort of, it makes it a little less painful and it also sort of cements the reality that you just are doing it and you're not going to give up. And, and so like for me, the, the mental narrative when I am doing virtually any kind of exercise, certainly a cycling like this, certainly if the, if it's raining or there's headwinds or anything like that, or it's cold, which happened plenty, the debate raging in my head is like, should I quit or not? Um, mm-hmm. And that's, you know, a little shameful to admit, but that's, that's the truth. If I have somebody else there with me, it's a whole different conversation. I'm just committed. And so I might be, you know, complaining in my head, but um, quitting is kind of off the table. And um, so I won't, I won't nerd out too hard on, you know, why that, why that shift happens just yet while I'm telling this story. But um, needless to say, we made it. It took us... Uh, 52 days, took some days off in the middle, you know, went out for drinks in, in Bismarck, North Dakota, because of course you got to do that. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, incredible, incredible trip. That's cool. And so every night you were just outdoors in a tent? Most nights. Probably if I had had my way, we would have done more camping. But uh, Brendan was a, a, a good voice of reason. And when we'd pull into bigger towns, maybe once a week or so, he'd say, we are getting a motel. <laughs> We're sleeping in a bed. Um, so we slept outdoors a lot, which I grew to really love. Uh, and I miss it sometimes. But yeah, we uh, we tried to give ourselves a chance at a little bit a little bit more of a restful time too, uh, especially if it was really cold or rainy or what have you. That's really cool. That's one of those things, you know, you'll remember it forever. And it seems like there are some real seeds got planted there associated with you know, the power of partnering up and accountability. And so could you also tell us the tale behind your company and concept Focusmate and how you saw personally that this is some powerful stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to go back to 2011 for the start of this story, which which predates my company by a bit. I was living and working in Mumbai, India, and um, I had been a top performer my whole life. At work, okay, Duke. Yeah, went to Duke, management consulting out of college. I was employee six at Teach for India. I, I was cruising. And um, and then uh, <laughs> our office location changed in Mumbai and a kind of reasonable commute became much, much more arduous. And this this is like a very long, very sweaty, just miserable commute where I'd be like changing clothes when I got to the office. And I just wasn't digging it. And I basically begged my boss to let me work remotely. She sort of conceded. She was really reluctant. Um, but I was just like, I, ha- I have to do this. And so I started working remotely and you know, I was excited about it. But um, her apprehensions turned out to be kind of, um, I don't know what the right word is, but... Justified. Dead justified. on. <laughs> <Yeah>. Prophetic. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Uh, in short, like I could not figure out how to be productive while I was working remotely. It was really bad. And like, I would say I'm sort of a busy or productive procrastinator. I would be like doing stuff constantly. I'd like put in a good eight hours of like something would be happening. I had my computer there uh, on my lap, but um, I just, I wasn't getting my job done. You know, I wasn't like working on the really important stuff. You know, the next conversation I had with my boss was about a different topic, about my performance. And um, we had a couple of those over the course of a few months and... 
eventually she, I mean, she didn't fire me, but she, she basically said, you know, <laughs> you, you can work here. You just can't work for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I drew a lot of ego strength from being a top performer. Uh, it just hit me really hard. I didn't have the kind of like resilience toolkit yet or sort of like the, the mental, you know, pick yourself back up toolkit yet. And I kind of took this segue to uh, start working for myself. I started my first startup at that time, but of course I was still working from home kind of simultaneously because of this like really conspicuous big failure, the first real big failure um, that I couldn't kind of explain away. I went into this spiral of shame and depression and I just, I, I really didn't know how to get out of it. And of course I was working alone, accountable only to myself, dealing with all the same things that had previously caused me to procrastinate. So it was, it was pretty nasty. And, um, and I won't say that I figured out a lot in that, in that phase. I kind of, the first thing I figured out was just like how to stop shaming myself. And that was a good first step. But what happened was I started reading about self-improvement. You know, I started reading about behavioral science and productivity and all the productivity hacks and blogs and, um, spirituality and, and that just being in that really bad place actually, and being motivated like that really cemented my passion for self-improvement and, um, and set me on this path. Prior to starting this company, I was an executive coach um, for a number of years. Um, and that was, that was a great opportunity to kind of take all of this uh, philosophy or research and, and be accountable to work with people on their real problems and see what works and what doesn't work. And Focusmate grew out of that. I was actually I was working with a client, someone I'd known for a really long time, um, sort of self-proclaimed procrastinator, also a really high performer at the same time. He had an investor presentation coming up, really, really big and really important presentation, career-making type of meeting. And he called me up and he said, man, I have this meeting in two weeks. I need my investor deck and I haven't started on it. And, you know, an investor deck for a meeting like this is, you know, something that could easily take you a couple months to get into good shape. So he was, he was really freaking out. And I had known him for long enough that I just, I'd kind of given him every bit of coaching that I knew, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and um, he didn't need more coaching. He just kind of, he just needed to have his feet held to the fire. He just needed to sit down and do it somehow. And so I, I had meanwhile been procrastinating on, on writing a blog post at that time, something that I procrastinate easily for months. And I just said, listen, why don't we just get on Skype tomorrow and I'll sit there with you and I will write my blog post and you will work on your investor presentation and I won't even charge you because <laughs> uh, I need this too. And so we did that and it was, it was like... It was crazy. So, I mean, within a, we sat down, we both shared exactly what we're going to do. And within a couple minutes, we're just working. And two hours flies by. And I mean, both of us were kind of like giddy at the end of this because we had just tapped into something that neither of us had ever experienced before. So he and I did that like every day that week. He finished his presentation. That went great. But that was sort of the seed of realizing like, oh, that, wow, there's something really powerful here. That's so cool. It's intriguing. I imagine, boy, you could really get into a dark place with regard to, hey, I'm a top performer. I kick butt all the time. Win, win, win is what I do. 
And yet I can't pull myself away from, I don't know if it's Facebook or Netflix or cat videos or memes or GIFs, whatever might be distracting you. So what do you think that's about in terms of our sort of individual capacity to resist distraction? Like, what's the deal there? Yeah, that's a really good, important question. And and I think the answer is actually, I, I mean, you can go read like epic blog posts about this. Um, you can read like the Wait But Why is a really classic blog post on procrastination. But I think it's kind of simple, which is, you know, we we spent 99% of evolution living in tribes, basically just trying to survive, you know, and um, we're wired to function in that environment. What we're not wired for is to have like everything on demand and like constant barrage of stimulation and, and opportunities for pleasure. Um, and pleasure could be, you know, it could be Netflix or seamless or well, seamless is food delivery here in New York. Um, or just, you know, email, um, you know, that like instant dopamine hit of like getting a new email. So, um, I think it's just, we're not, we're not wired to deal with the environment that we have today. Mm-hmm. Okay. Understood. But, and so that you mentioned that there's some data suggesting that distractions are, are getting worse and worse. And so can you sort of unpack some of that to lay out just what's at stake here? Yeah. So this some crazy data and I didn't really fully grasp it even until I started really building Focusmate and trying to understand what's going on. Um, so just like a few interesting things to look at, chronic procrastination is the most severe kind of procrastination. It's a diagnosable condition. Um, the study that I looked at for this starts tracking chronic procrastination right around the time that computers come into existence, like 70s, 80s. And the first data point they have on chronic procrastination is that it affects about 5% of the adult population. And that number has gone up steadily until the most recent data point for this particular research on chronic procrastination is 2007, where it affects 20%, one in five adults. And that's 2007. 2007. Uh, we got 11 years to catch up to see how big it is now. Totally. And, you know, by the way, 2007 is when the first smartphone, when the iPhone came out. Um, so you can extrapolate a little from that, that, um, that we're in a pretty bad place with, this is like hardcore severe procrastination affecting a lot of people, somebody you know. Um, another one is adult ADHD scripts. Um, so from about, so let's see, 2003 to 2015, adult ADHD scripts went up by over three times, right? Um, and then the other just terrifying statistic is um, about a third of the workday now is, is wasted on distractions. So, you know, just a couple hours a day, <laughs> every day wasted on, on distractions. Do we have a breakdown of what are the big distraction drivers there at the workplace? Is it more so folks dropping by or is it more kind of self-inflicted like, oh, I keep looking at the news or my phone? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I haven't looked at that data for a little while, but um, I know that noise is a big one. Um, you know, especially now we have open offices are, are unfortunately still really trendy, even though there's there's really no evidence to support that they're good. And there's a lot of reasons why they're bad. But um, yeah, noise is hard for people. And, you know, if you're 
introverted, I'm introverted, or if you're sensitive to noise, I'm like hypersensitive to noise. Um, You know, we know that introverts is a lot of people and a lot of people are sensitive to noise. So like for certain types of people, especially working in an office environment can just be totally crippling. Mm -hmm. Intriguing. Okay, well, so there it is. It's big in terms of distraction affecting us more and more at a bigger scale. You stumbled upon a powerful antidote with that Skype chat, and then you went ahead and built a whole company around this. So if I want to get me a Focusmate, how do I make that happen and how's it work? Yeah, so the premise behind Focusmate is to is basically just using this using this technique, this kind of tribal psychology and uh, you know accountability um, to unlock productivity. And um, a kind of simple way to think about it is it's like it's like an accountability buddy or a study buddy on demand. And um, we have a standard session format. This is a fifty minute video working session where um, we make it possible for you and your partner, your virtual coworker, to sit side by side over video while you both get work done for 50 minutes. And at the beginning of each session, you each commit to what you're going to work on. You write it down and you get to work. And at the end, you check in with each other and talk about how it went. And um, it sounds pretty simple and it, it actually is, but there's also a lot of behavioral triggers packed into that interaction. Part of it is, you know, when we, when we schedule things in advance, um, you know, our, our intentions further ahead are actually better often than our intentions right in the moment. Um, and then, um, reflection, stopping and reflecting is, uh, a lot of research shows that that's, uh, that improves productivity, even though it doesn't feel as good as just doing stuff. So this forces you to stop and reflect on what you're about to do. Um, writing down what you're about to do increases productivity. Telling somebody what you're going to do increases productivity. The immediacy of doing it right after you write it down and tell somebody also increases productivity. Um, so there's a whole bunch of uh, layers that go into why it's why it's so effective. And And part of what we're building also is really enabling you to have a really customized experience so that the the virtual coworkers that you have are exactly the the right people for you the people that you want to be working for whether that's because they're actually your you know your favorites so to speak that you've added to your tribe or whether that's based on your preferences of how you like to work that's awesome and so is this free or how do i get me some of that it is free. Uh, so all you got to do is go to our website, focusmade.com and sign up. That's cool. And are there any kind of corporate firewall, you know, IT blah to contend with when using this software? So this it's a totally browser-based experience. So cool. um, you shouldn't. Uh, you shouldn't have any. Um, yeah, but, you know, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. And I like the way you sort of unpacked that in terms of, you know, it's really just a few simple practices, but they have a compounding effect. And they all kind of, you know, come together. And so then that's cool. And I'm a huge believer in accountability. I was sort of already sold. I wrote a book about accountability groups in college. And I had a powerful experience as well in terms of, hey, we're making commitments, you know, to one another and we're sharing. This is what I'm going to do. And we're checking in with each other regularly. You've added the real-time dimension of we are sitting down now looking at each other doing the thing, which is a whole nother level. So, (laughs) So that's awesome. Thanks. So then tell me, do you have any sort of stats on the effectiveness or the measurement of just the extent to which it gets the job done? I mean, you and your buddies think it's really cool and a good experience, but 
I guess, how do you measure it in terms of sort of like a yes or no, I got the job done? Or how do you put numbers to prove that this is doing the trick? Yeah, so we've done some internal surveys and um, the the results are kind of crazy. Uh, so 100% of, this is about a 60-something person study. So so pretty small, but, um, but we think significant. 100% of the respondents said, yes, this improves my productivity. All right. Of those, 96% said it improves my productivity by at least 50%. Word. And then, you know, just on the anecdotal side of things, we have many, many, many people who are saying, I have, I've tried everything under the sun and nothing has worked until this. I have severe ADHD and I never thought I could do X. I just wrote it off. You know, I was never going to get to do this goal, you know, and, um, and now I actually think that I can. That's cool. That's cool. Well, so I'm intrigued then. So that's one sort of tremendous tool we now all have in our toolkit. We can just go over to focusmate.com and grab a partner on demand. So that's great. So I imagine though, as you've done your research, you've sort of determined a few other kind of best practices and themes when it comes to humans and our capacity to focus and be productive and stay on task and beat procrastinating. So what are some of your other pro tips, you know, beyond getting a partner? Yeah. So I think it's useful to actually kind of abstract one step. Um, because really the principle that is at work is around this, this tribal psychology. And there's this great quote from Jim Rohn that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I, I must have seen that quote like 10 times before I really understood what it means. And as I started to study psychology more, um, the way that I've come to understand why that really works, because it's not magic, it really works. The, the reason is that... Um, we are social animals, right? And so, you know, we evolved in tribes where if you wanted to eat, you had to hunt. And if you wanted to hunt successfully, you needed to collaborate with other people or you wanted to raise a child. Well, there was no baby monitors. And so if mm -hmm. you wanted to, you know, step away to do something else, you relied on somebody else or like you got a cold, right? How, well, how on earth did you survive a basic common cold living in a tribal society? You completely relied on other people to take care of you. So we're really hardwired to respond to these social triggers. And, you know, th there's plenty of places that you can see this in life today. Um, just stuff like, you know, like, why do you, why, why might you buy a Nike shoe versus a New Balance shoe? Well, a Nike shoe is going to send... So Steve Prefontaine, Taylor, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course. Well, that's funny because it kind of like gets at the thing, which is like Nike stands for something else. And what that really means is it sends a different message, both to you, but also to other people around you. Right. And, you know, you go into an office. Well, why is every guy there wearing basically the same thing? Right. Um, well, that's because you want to fit in. And in a tribal society, it's really, really costly if you stand out. The minute you stand out, you get ostracized, you're dead, right? So the, the way our brains are wired is we, uh, we, we, we conform to the behaviors around us. And so that works both ways, right? So that means, you know, hey, if your spouse turns on Netflix every night at seven like clockwork and you really want to, you know, study up on machine learning, 
right? Mm-hmm. Sorry, but it's not going to happen. You know, Netflix is on and like, boom, your your willpower is gone. You're probably going to just sit on the couch too. Um, but it works in the other direction too. And and since we're talking about running, just like one of the coolest examples I've seen um, in um, in 1954, this this runner, what's his name? I want to say Roger Bannister. Don't quote me on that. But basically, no one had ever run a four-minute mile before. And in 1954, this guy, he breaks the four-minute barrier for the first time. And remember, this thing has literally never happened before. Suddenly, two months later, somebody else does it. And I just checked the stats on this today. As of today, over 1,400 people have broken the four-minute barrier. So when your brain makes that switch to something is possible because somebody else did it, right? Something in your environment sends a signal about what's possible. Um, Suddenly... It, it's also possible for you or it becomes normalized for you. And so on a really practical level, you know, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. The way that plays out is you start to internalize the way that people around you are speaking and, the, and their body language and soon the way that they think and the way that they act and all these things, you're just, you're, the way your brain is wired is you're just subconsciously absorbing all those things. So you actually can't help but start to be like them. And it's not a totally rational thing in today's society where you can totally pretty much survive on your own technically. But, um, but it is still a really, really incredibly powerful hack where um, if you change the people that are in your environment, if you change that social environment, it will just change um, who you are from the inside out. That has so many implications for our work. But you know, in the very immediate, who is your boss? Who are your coworkers? Who are the people that you talk to about work? Um, those sort of things can can actually have a very very direct impact on um, your output, your results at work. That's huge. So part of the game is just hey, pick some great people, <laughs> you know, and be around them frequently. Completely. Yeah. That's cool. Well, and so then we've got sort of that lever to pull. And then I'm wondering in terms of when you find yourself, you know, without people at your disposal, or maybe you have a shorter window in which you need to focus like 20 minutes instead of booking a 50 minute advanced session. What do you recommend in the heat of battle to sort of stay on task and focused and to beat uh, procrastination and keep at it when you're not feeling it so much? Yeah. I think this can be a tough one. And um, one of the things that I've, I find really helpful is um, this idea of, of doing less better. And so when you sit down and you've got 50 things on your to-do list, which you know, all of us have at least 50 things on our to-do list, um, it can be really crippling, especially when you only have, you know, in, in this case, 20 minutes or something. Um, and you might be a little weary and and you know, decision fatigue has set in and it's really crippling. And that's, that's one of the things that makes it really hard to, um, to be productive when you only have 20 minutes, actually really streamlining. Um, and I've, I've heard different approaches to this. One person shared that she uses a post-it note uh, every day and she can only fit about three things on there. So that's how she plans. She just uses a really tiny surface. (laughs) That's one way to do less better. I've borrowed a technique um, or adapted a technique from Jake Knapp. Oh yeah, we had him on the show. Oh nice, yeah. Um, so Jake wrote a wrote an article about uh, what he calls the 
the burner method or something like this. Sorry, Jake, I'm going to totally screw this up. But um, the essence of it is to do less better and to really simplify. And so my approach to this is I take a blank sheet of paper every day and I divide it into a top half and a bottom half. And the top half, I literally put just one uh, one thing usually. Um, if there's other things I absolutely must get to that day, they go on the top half. But that's a really, really high bar for things you absolutely must, must get to. And the bottom half is, uh, is like, okay, you know, bonus. If I finish that thing at the top, um, here's some work tasks I can get into. On the bottom right is... Um, personal task, you know, administrative, I got to pick up my dry cleaning or, or I got to, right now I have a write a thank you note is in that bottom right corner. So I, I find that um, it's, it helps avoid decision fatigue when it's just like extremely simple and, and you can just focus on um, that one thing. And then kind of related to that, um, I like to say that we should write our to-dos like we're giving instructions to a robot or to a computer. Yeah. Oh, I like that. What that's about is really about specificity and and um, reducing complexity. So our brains are yeah, our brains don't like complexity. When we create it, we procrastinate. When you see something on your to do list that says write a presentation, to reprise our old example, you actually can't write a presentation. You can create a blank document in Keynote. You can write an outline with some slide headers, right? You can sketch out some uh, graphic, some ideas for visuals for your slides. Those are things that you can actually do, but it's not physically possible to do the activity of write a presentation. So um, so that's a, another fun little trick is, you know, write your tasks like you're giving instructions to a robot. You know, I like that a lot. And that's sort of one of the tenets of GTD, getting things done methodology. And we had David Allen on the show back in the day, episode 15. Awesome dude. An OG productivity oh, baller. Yeah. <laughs> a personal hero. But, but I really resonated because, you know, if I were to do this, it just says, mom. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like there's a whole nother level of, I don't know if it's consternation or friction or like, what does that even mean? Mom. It's like, oh, mom's birthday. Okay. Well, that's closer, but what's the instruction for mom's birthday? It's like, Oh, visit Amazon.com to find something that mom would like for her birthday and order it. It is like, okay, that's what I'm doing. And so then you sort of really cut through a lot of that resistance in terms of, oh, it's not ambiguous at all. This is what's happening is I'm opening a window and going to Amazon.com and bada bing, bada boom. Totally. Yeah. And I love the level of specificity that you just went to because like that's exactly what is necessary for our just our really terrible brains but um it's it's funny how how much resistance i mean i i still find this i've got the habit down now but there's you you'll still find there's resistance when you're writing down a task to just like write those extra words and do that little bit of extra thinking when you're planning but i i find that like you know doing all your planning and reflection together as its own task and making sure that okay now while i'm doing the reflection and planning i'm going to take the time to write down go to amazon.com and research gifts, you know, and buy gift for mom, whatever you're going to going to write down. And the other the other sort of uh, hack that I use on this is is sometimes you need to write something down that is complex and you it's not the right time now to actually plan out the specific actions around that. So you might actually need to 
um, to write a presentation and you just need some kind of placeholder on your to-do list to work on that, it may not be right to break that into the 12 steps that are actually involved. So um, when I encounter that situation, you know, i.e. every day, you can just write, you know, plan out the steps to write the presentation and actually treating the planning as its own task, um, I find is a really helpful way to sort of get around uh, the the stuckness on on complex projects. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Well, tell me, you've got a turn of a phrase I find intriguing. You say, stop relying on willpower. What's the key message there? Oh, gosh. Especially in the U.S., um, we have this notion of rugged individualism. And like, I subscribe to it so much, you know, as you might guess from someone who does a cross-country bike ride. But it's also kind of toxic uh, in that I think it, it has us think that there's some glamour or glory or righteousness about like muscling through things. And, um, and that can look like trying to do things on our own. Um, and it can often look like just trying to use willpower. I can't count the number of days that I wasted in, earlier in my career just kind of um, shaming myself because I thought, gosh, I really just should be able to willpower myself through this obstacle. And, um, and it doesn't work. And there's, <laughs> there's plenty of evidence that it doesn't work. Um, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that does. And, and we've talked about some of the stuff that does. But I think just the key message is to just, you know, let go of the notion that there's some something better about, um, about muscling through. Mm. I like that. And it's always challenging in terms of you hold on to it's like, but if I were some sort of a, you know, hardcore super achiever, I could do it. And the word Navy SEAL comes to mind, but even then they're working in teams. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're working in teams. Yeah. They live together. They have routine. I mean, all of it. This is like part two to this idea is um, <laughs> it's okay to get some support, but not too much. Um, there's like a, a line that we draw somewhere in our minds where it's like, okay, I can like call up a friend and ask for help on this, but like, I should, I really shouldn't like call two friends. <laughs> you know, I don't want to take too much of this person's time or whatever. And of course, like you need to use social intelligence and be gracious and not, you know, overtax your relationships. But um, like separate from that, I think we just kind of put a barrier on like what's acceptable um, to create as support in our lives. And so like categorically, uh, there is no limit to how much support is okay. You know, like what I really think it's just like, if there's a way to get the job done, maybe you should use it, you know? Um, so accountability is, is one great way. Um, but you know, I, I'm sure you've had plenty of guests who talk about stuff like, you know, automating things in your life where like, you know, I'm not necessarily reliable to, uh, get my laundry done, you know, when, when it should be done. So I just have a pickup set for once a week where I'm like, all right, I guess I got to like scramble and get my clothes together because the person's coming. So, um, just, you know, to give a couple examples of like any way that you can avoid using willpower to do something might be a good idea. Beautiful. Well, tell me Taylor, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? No, I'm good. Let's do it. All right. How about you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Yeah. So I'm going to just trot this one out again. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. That's Jim Rohn. Mm -hmm. All right. 
And how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research? Yeah, so um, there's a study called The Power of Kauai, which is this concept uh, of viewing cute animal, uh, cute baby animal photos. And what they looked at is um, what's, what's the impact this has on your productivity? And I'm, I'm talking about this because it's a perfect example of tribal psychology of we can't help when we look at a picture of a cute baby animal, it actually boosts cognitive function, it boosts mood, it boosts concentration. Pretty crazy. You know, I've heard references to this, but I said, what? And I've never scratched beneath the surface. So while we're here, you're thinking that the tribal psychology explains this. Could you make that connection for me? Yeah. Um, I mean, the kind of obvious connection is like, it's an animal, we should kill it and eat it. <laughs> well, well, yeah, okay, there's that. I think it might be more intuitive to people to think about raising kids. And when you have a baby, there's this like blob that really doesn't give you like much interaction. And, and there's really like no, <laughs> there's no reward for a long time, right? There's just a thing that has a lot of needs and also causes you a lot of distress. And um, so like, how do we get through that crucible well, a lot of it is just the way our brains are wired. And when you look at a baby, what happens? You calm down, you feel better, you can concentrate. They're evolutionarily optimal to ensure the survival of the species, right? And, and you sort of, you can extrapolate one layer, or in this case, the research suggests that this effect also uh, extends to looking at other kinds of animals that are also babies. Okay, interesting, thank you. Well, now, could you share a favorite book? Yeah, so you mentioned uh, Navy SEAL. So I'm actually reading right now a book called Living with a Seal by Jesse Itzler. All right. And, uh, and this, this guy, Jesse, who's a really successful business guy, he, he invites a Navy SEAL to live with him for a month and to train him. Um, and in addition to being really inspiring, it's also hilarious um, and an amazing example of, of how changing your environment, changing the social structure and putting this other really high performing person in your environment is transformative for Jesse. So it's, it's awesome. Highly recommend it. That's cool. And how about a favorite tool? A favorite tool? Well, I'm going to just be self-promotional and, <laughs> and go there and say focus mate. And you know, I wouldn't say it if um, this is something that as a recovering procrastinator um, has really changed my life and and changed even my identity um, where you know I feel that I can rely on myself to get my most important work done um, it's been transformational for me and a lot of other people and I you know um, I think it could be really effective for a lot of your listeners as well mm -hmm. and how about a favorite habit yeah, so I wanted to choose something a little maybe uncommon. And so my, the, the habit that I want to share is around positive self-talk. Um, and, and this is something that probably the first million times I encountered it, I was like, this is some like woo-woo <laughs> crazy stuff. Um, but, um, but it's actually made a huge difference for me in the last few years that I've really started to get some momentum around it. And... Um, and it go it cuts a couple ways, you know. When something goes well, um, I, I'm actually sometimes out loud verbalizing like "great job" or like you know "boom." I'll keep it clean on here, but uh -huh. I'll enthusiastically congratulate myself. 
And it just kind of, it like literally creates maybe dopamine actually in this case, but it literally, literally creates a chemical response where it sort of like cements that experience in my memory or something that makes it actually more tangibly positive and helps me build on it. And and sometimes I'll do that even if it was mediocre because it was just like, you know what, like you did the best you could given what you knew at, you know, at this point in time. And, and so that's awesome. Um, and then plenty of times something goes terribly. I walk out of a, a meeting and I just feel like I did terrible. And, um, and in that situation too, it's, you know, I'm not telling myself, you know, you did great and trying to like steamroll the negative feeling, but I will really say to myself, it's okay. And it's not all on you. You know, there's another person in this interaction and, you know, what did you learn from this interaction? So, um, shockingly after many years of thinking this was a crazy thing, it's actually become a really indispensable, um, and career changing tool for me. Interesting. And a part of the key is saying it out loud. You know, I have found that sometimes saying it out loud, um, it can make it a little more real and it can also help reinforce the habit as you're building it. And it's kind of fun too. I mean, maybe it's a little crazy and I'm just a crazy guy, but um, but yeah, something about saying it out loud, it's maybe a little extra oomph. All right. And tell me, is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks when you share it? Yeah, I mean, we've really talked about it a lot. It's just this idea that in order to upgrade your life, upgrade your accountability. All right. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where'd you point them? You can email me at hi at focusmate.com. And you can also head over to our website, focusmate.com. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? I do. Um, my challenge is, you can call it like an audit of the people in your life. And it's not just your work life. Well, that's certainly an important category, but it's really everyone that you spend a meaningful amount of time with. It's your friends, it's your romantic partner. Um, and to ask yourself, like, um, I guess th there's two questions. One is, are there sort of, are there roles in your life that or needs that you have that you don't have somebody who's serving that role? Um, I think of these as like roles that, that you are casting for in your life. Um, so that's sort of list one. And then list two is people in your life or behaviors that some of those people in your life are exhibiting that are causing drag, that are slowing you down, that are sort of, <laughs> you know, again, if, if you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, who are the, are there people in your life that you actually don't want to become more like them? And then, you know, go find the people that you're casting for in list one and in list two, either establish a boundary with those people, or if you need to actually cut those people out from your life and think, um, actually following through with those two things can completely change your life. Awesome. Taylor, this has been a real treat. Thank you for sharing your experience, your vulnerability, your story, and your cool software with us. I'm just a huge fan of what you're up to and I wish you all the best. Thanks so much, Pete. It's been really great being on the show. You know, I played with Focusmate myself a little bit and it was really cool how I could schedule a session in just about an hour's notice. I probably could have cut it even closer if I wanted to, but that's just sort of what my calendar worked out to be. 
And it was super helpful because I had some thank you notes I was looking to write, but I kept falling behind and not doing it. I'm very appreciative. And yet sometimes thank you notes feel like I'm looking backwards. It's not as exciting as looking forward to new things, at least the way my brain works. So it got a little bit behind schedule, but it was so helpful to have another real live human being on video working on his stuff, asking me what I was looking to do, asking him what he was looking to do. And then we just hunkered down and made it happen. He pushed mute for a little while because he was on the phone, but I could see him talking away during portions of his focus time. And then afterwards we said, hey, how'd it go? I was like, oh, success, success, yay. And it was funny, sure enough, just like that bike ride that Taylor was talking about, there were times just like, ugh, I don't feel like doing this anymore. It's kind of boring, I'm kind of tired. I've got all these other interesting ideas I'd like to run after and pursue. I was like, nope, nope, made a commitment. Here we are. And so I got it done. Very effective, just like Taylor said. So pretty cool, focusmate.com, and it is free. So that's swell. I dug it. And again, you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced. It's on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep368. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll hear from our next guest, Dan Schwabel, and he is talking about getting back to human and not overlying on technology and focusing on how humans interact and communicate best with one another. Until next time, peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 